Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. So welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. I hope this season is providing opportunity for you to pause and reflect differently, perhaps, in new ways this year. I think one of the things that makes Advent so special is that kind of built into our culture, built into our calendar are these pause moments. Many of us get a few days off of work. Many of us are having Christmas parties sprung on us, whether we like it or not. And so we're doing things that are different. We're doing things that are unique in our schedule. You know, last week we talked about the first Advent theme of hope. And we connected hope with even that commercialized, like very industrial version of Christmas we experienced this year, where it's all about the consumerism and the buying and the gift giving. But even as we made that connection, we recognized that that connection with our hopes and our desires, even if they're maybe a little bit off in terms of the commercialized version of it, but the idea of longing, hope, and desires, this is a this is a biblical theme. This is what Christ did for us in the first advent and is doing for us in the second advent. It's looking at our hopes and desires and turning those into fulfillment. Have you been processing that this week? Who would be bold enough maybe to just sneak up a hand to say as an affirmation that God has been helping you manage your longings and desires in partnership with this kingdom? Jesse did. <laughs> yeah, Pat. Yeah. And that's good. That's what we should be doing. That's what we hope to do through this season. I wasn't trying to embarrass anyone. I was kind of expecting everybody to do it. And you probably are. You probably are. But may we continue to hope and chase after the desires of God and his kingdom that he's placing in our hearts by being his faithful people, by enacting hope through daily moments of prayer and love and sacrifice. And just like our exercise last week of hope, today we'll be considering the very next step. What comes after hope? You know, if you're desiring and longing for something, you don't want it to just remain a desire and a longing. You want to start taking action. You want to start moving towards that you hopefully will see your hope and your desires moving into fulfillment, into reality. So today we're going to be considering putting hope into action. Because if hope remains internal, if hope remains something that you just hold in your heart and is never fulfilled, it can pretty easily turn into bitterness or something else, something undesirable. It can begin to wither or diminish, perhaps, and you just give up. But of course, if we're talking about our hopes and our desires in alignment with God's kingdom, then oftentimes the way that that hope turns into action might come as a bit of a surprise to us. 
the way it's actually fulfilled. At times, the circumstances of the details of hope turned into action can come as a bit of a shock. Today, we'll be hearing three stories of angelic visitations, of moments in which heaven opened itself and communicated to people very clearly of this will be happening this way, and it came as a shock. Many of you have heard my story, our, our family's story. As you, many of you know, we served overseas as missionaries for five years in the Philippines. You know, Melissa and I, as we were dating and as we were talking about what our lives might look like and as we were determining whether we were a good connection, a good match, it was one of the things we talked about. We both loved the Lord. We both had felt very clear moments in which we had been called to serve him in any way we could. But we also both had a strong desire and a strong love for travel, for living overseas and being in different cultures. And so this was one of the things that we kind of agreed. Hey, if we get married, it, are we both open to the idea of living and serving overseas? And it, yeah, it was an agreement. You know, as a matter of fact, we were married in April. And in June, we moved from Idaho to Romania, to Sikishwara, Romania, where Melissa had done a study abroad program. She knew some of the directors and some people still living in that area. So we just reached out and said, hey, can we come stay for the summer and volunteer in various ways? And we did that. It was great. We, uh, we taught classes for some of the street kids who just needed something to do after school. We volunteered in the hospitals, which in Romania, a lot of Eastern countries at that time, hospitals became kind of an orphanage where children were dropped off anonymously. And so we kind of worked in the orphanages a little bit. We taught a drawing class in the evenings for adults. It was wonderful. And we kept expecting that that opportunity would kind of flourish and grow. And, you know, the three months would maybe would turn into six months and maybe turn into a couple years. But at the end of the three months, you know, there was nothing happening, so we came home. Came home and started life, started our family. Of course, continued to serve in, in you know, any way possible for us there in Napa, but we had our kids and we were doing life. Not necessarily feeling like we missed it, but recognizing the timing wasn't there. Uh, you know, eight years later, an opportunity came for me again to go on a short-term trip. And you guys have heard this story, maybe some of you. As I'm on this trip, and again, I, I, I went alone because Isaiah was about three. Ian was, you know, nine months maybe. Eleanor, I think we knew, but Eleanor was, most was pregnant, but Eleanor was about seven months away. So she stayed home with the kids. And as I'm there, we were doing a work project. It was hot, Philippine summer, dry, desolate. I was shoveling rock. We were building a community center, literally on what used to be a garbage dump. And as I'm shoveling into this pile of dry stone, in the center of this pile was moist, damp earth and all these sprouts. And as clear as day, I had the thought, I was reminded of that 
passage in Romans where it says, the harvest is rich, but the workers are few. I didn't see an angel, but I heard something. It was a visitation in one way. And so then began the awkward conversations of me having fun overseas with Melissa at home with three kids, saying things like through email, these were the days of email, saying things like, I wonder if it might be time. I wonder if the Lord might be opening an opportunity for us. And of course, Melissa was on board. We came home and, um, yeah, came home in January. And I think by March, we had made our decision Eleanor was born in July, and in October, we moved overseas. Our lives changed kind of in an instant. The timing was not what we expected. You know, so much about the way in which God works, so much in the way God takes our hope and our desires and turns them into reality can feel risky, can feel scary, People are still kind of surprised when we tell that story. And you know, honestly, when I kind of look at it that way, taking three kids overseas, Eleanor was three months old. Eleanor was in the baby Bjorn. I had the, the hiking backpack with Ian in that. Of course, the two carts of all that stuff. Isaiah was wearing a little monkey backpack with a long tail, like a leash. <laughs> I mean, we were a sight to behold in the airport. You know, and just a handful of suitcases and a one-way ticket. Um, I guess, you know, when you look at it like that, it is kind of surprising. It is kind of amazing. But when we were in the midst of it, it didn't feel that way. When we were in the midst of it, it felt exactly right. People were asking us, are you nervous? Are you scared? No, it just was right. We had lots of questions. Perhaps we even had some uncertainty or some doubt, but we had peace. We had peace because we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling and leading us. In many ways, that kind of story mirrors even what we've experienced over the last year here at Emmaus Road. You know, of course, we came back from the Philippines and began serving here in Colorado. And again, Melissa and I's prayer was that we would find a community. We would find a place in which our unique talents, our unique gifts, our unique story could be a blessing to others and to, could be a blessing to the work that God was doing, allowing us to participate in the spiritual formation and discipleship of others. You know, and so like as we were here, back, newly back from the Philippines, I was pretty frustrated because I found myself, obviously, I had to get a job and make some money to reestablish ourselves. And so I was in bivocational ministry again. And I was, I can remember the day I was sitting in the chair I like to read in and I was just kind of feeling sorry for myself because I was recognizing I was planning and working on something for church. And I was recognizing I have to go to work on Monday. And I was recognizing that tension. And not that God doesn't love and support and give you energy for bivocational ministry, but we had a call. And of course, again, clear as day, 
I heard God say, what are you doing to change your situation? What are you going to do about it? As I was kind of complaining. And of course, that was kind of the nudge I needed to look into ordination classes. And of course, as I began taking those ordination classes, one of my favorite professors was Andy Lucas. And of course, as we started talking with Andy, the opportunity and the, the invitation came to come be a part of Emmaus Road, again, in a bivocational way. And then this April happened, and we stepped into interim, and now here we are. The path is totally surprising. Not what I would have expected, but it's been good. It's been good. My heart in telling you those two stories is not to somehow imply that like I or we, our family, that we've got it figured out because we don't. Like you, we're just taking one step at a time, trusting, doing our best to discern and to hope that we're hearing God right. Most of the time, it's been, it's just felt frightening when you're making those big decisions. There's been moments of insecurity. There's been moments like we're recognizing that we're on the edge, but we're just doing our best to follow as God leads. So this is the point. This is the point this morning. When God asks us to make a move, whether a big leap of faith or just putting one baby step of trust after another. He offers us peace. And this peace bolsters our faith, which strengthens us on the journey. Again, this is how we shrink the gap. Again, the gap in our graphic here, Christ's first advent. We're looking forward to Christ's second advent. How do we shrink that gap between the two? ushering in Christ's coming again. We do this by all faithfully chasing after the kingdom of God in our lives in small and big ways. We find ourselves in between the first advent and yet the advent to come by allowing God to give shape and direction to our desires and by receiving his peace, which develops faith which guides us on our journey, we enact the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven in little and big ways. So, three examples in scripture of God revealing himself to folks through angelic visitations. Of course, during the season of Advent, you might notice that we're reading larger sections of scripture. Uh, that's on purpose. I feel like these parts of scripture they hold such awe and wonder and detail to our stories. So, yeah, I hope you're, um, you're willing to hear a little bit longer piece of scripture today. The reading and listening to scripture is a good skill to develop. But before we dive in, let's pray. Lord, your word, holy God, was written for our instruction. By your Holy Spirit, open our ears and fill us with the mysteries of your ancient love. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Amen, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter one and also Luke chapter one. We'll kind of, I'll read all three of these stories just back to back. So we'll move all through these and then we'll discuss. So Matthew chapter one, we'll begin in verse 18. 
This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. Now, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit of the power of Elijah. He will re prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts, the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring this good news. But now, since you did not believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. Skipping ahead a few verses to 26, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of the King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused by this, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am your servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So three examples of divine visitation. Three different examples of hope and desire beginning to shift into reality, beginning to transform into action. We also see three different reactions. You know, Joseph kind of stoically just said, yep, okay. Uh, Zachariah was like, you don't know who I am and who my wife is, obviously. Mary, too, questioned the angel. But hers was very logistical. Wait, this isn't how it works. (laughs) Uh, And yet, we see God fulfilling even through the three reactions. Three examples of God encouraging us and providing us the challenge of do not be afraid. You know, because we can all attest that when heaven shows up in our lives and begins transforming our hope into action, it can be kind of scary. Whether there's a physical angel appearing to you or whether it's just the idea of your life about to be turned upside down. When heaven speaks, it can be unsettling, angel or not. (laughs) Add an angel or an otherly world presence and you have something, a very strong reason for the command of peace be with you. Not only can that experience be unsettling, but again, like I said, the idea of your life about to change. So what does it mean When heaven says, peace be with you, do not be afraid. What is it that heavenly peace provides to us? Based on these examples, based on scripture, we can feel confident that the peace of heaven provides us strength, foundation, confidence in the moment of turbulent fear. It encourages us to resist the impulse to allow our fear to overshadow what we know to be true. Especially when it comes to what we know to be true of God and his work in us and around us. But I think the peace of heaven also provides us discernment and shape in the journey that we're about to take. In the face of the unknown, fear might have the inevitable reaction. It might be our inevitable inevitable reaction, but what will we do with the fear? The opportunity is, will we do our best to kind of push through the fear and accept the peace of heaven? Peace that gives us courage and shape to our decision-making and trust in the work that God's doing in us. And you almost have to laugh at the irony, right? Because in both cases, the angel of the Lord is saying that the birth of a child is about to totally change the trajectory of these two families. You know, to Zachariah and Elizabeth, 
Yeah, it's an elderly couple, well along in years, in their 80s, and to another couple as teenagers. They're not even married yet. And if you think that our rules about chastity are strict these days, kids, you have no idea what it was like to be young Jews in the nation of Israel. Essentially, God is asking, do you trust me? Can you trust me in this? Can you set your fear aside and journey with me into the unknown? It reminds me of a choice that comes from one of my favorite books. Bob, I'm finally doing it. The Lord of the Rings is creeping in here. Frodo, in the midst of his tremendous fear, his journey out of darkness in The Lord of the Rings. Frodo, Sam, and his friends, Merry and Pippin, have just escaped the Shire. They're being pursued by mysterious dark riders. They found shelter in a tavern called the Prancing Pony, but they're far from home. They're among foreigners. They don't know who they can trust for the help they desperately need. Deep in, consult in consultation with one another about what they're going to do, out of the shadows of their private room steps this large, intimidating, unkempt man named Strider, offering help and aid. You know, there's much more to the story. If you haven't heard the story, what are you doing with your lives? <laughs> Read The Lord of the Rings. Um, but there's a decision to be made. And, um, you know, what, where will they put their trust? Will Frodo trust this unknown, mysterious stranger and his offer of peace? And it says, at last, Frodo spoke with hesitation. I believe that you are a friend before the letter even came to me, or at least I wished to believe. You have frightened me several times tonight, but never in the way that the servants of the enemy have frightened me. Or so I would imagine. For I think one of the spies of the enemy would, well, seem fairer but feel fouler. Aragorn laughed and he said, I see. While I look foul but feel fair, right? Frodo, like Joseph and Zechariah and Mary, have chosen to be comforted and guided by heavenly peace in the midst of uncertainty and disruption. They've chosen to allow their lives to be guided by heavenly priorities, even when the circumstances were pretty frightening. In your worship notes for today, there's a few areas where I've kind of posed a, a prompting question. Um, if you would like, you can kind of consider these questions as we go and kind of fill them in. We're not going to take a long time to respond to those. Um, but I'd also encourage you to kind of take this with you and consider. But the first question, consider a moment in your life when, cha when challenges and difficulties were evident yet you had peace in your circumstance. By contrast, a life not guided by heavenly priorities frequently presents us peace as well, 
but in a different guise, in a different manner. As Frodo pointed out, offers of peace can come from many places, many directions. But is peace that does not come from heaven really worth having? Let's consider the peace of the world. There is such a thing. There is such a thing that we can have in life. And this is the peace that keeps us relatively safe and secure, not necessarily by providing comfort and strength in moments of challenge, but rather it aims to make our lives fairly tame, <laughs> fairly diluted. That strength and faith are never really needed that much because our lives are fairly simple. You may kind of feel perpetually busy or out of time, but in reality, you rarely need to rely on anyone or anything else to accomplish the things of your life. Rarely are there any serious challenges in opposition to our daily lives. The world offers peace but it does so by offering us a life that is just not very risky, a life that's not putting ourselves out there. In one sense, you can kind of think of it as it lulls us into kind of a sleepy non-existence where little good is happening except, you know, just maybe appeasing ourselves, making life easy. This is not a condemnation that life shouldn't be an enjoyable, easy thing. I hope you're hearing my heart. But again, taking another literary turn, C.S. Lewis has a work called The Screwtape Letters. And it's a crazy, sometimes startling look at how the enemy attempts to counter the work of God in believers, as depicted through a series of letters between this minor demon and his mentor demon, as he's been assigned to this fledgling Christian. Have you guys, anybody read Screwtape Letters? A couple, yeah. So one theme that comes up time and time again in, in this book is that apathy and distraction from the work of God is just as effective as a life of debauchery and extravagant sin for taking a Christian out of the will of God. In one poignant passage, Screwtape, the mentor demon is writing to Wormwood, the subordinate, and he says this. A few weeks ago, you had to tempt your subject. You had to tempt him into unreality and inattention in his prayers. But now you will find him opening his arms wide to you and almost begging you for distraction in his purpose for you to benumb his heart. He will want his prayers to be ineffective, unpotent, for he will dread nothing so much as strong, effective contact with God. His aim will be to let sleeping worms lie. In other words, nothing makes our enemy more pleased than our turning to worldly peace that numbs our hearts and minds to distraction from the kingdom and safeguards us from really being asked to do anything challenging or hard. 
when we're experiencing moments of peace in our modern lives, we have to be fairly discerning about whether that peace is coming from God in the midst of challenging circumstances or whether we've kind of been lulled into comfort. Does it look fair but perhaps feel foul as you consider it? Or does it look foul but feel fair? <laughs> Are we feeling a little too comfortable? Because we've allowed ourselves to be swept along in the current of our culture, allowing ourselves to go with the flow, which tends to lull us a bit into apathy. I've been there. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we can recognize moments when we've been there. Or are we willing to allow ourselves to be strengthened and comforted by the peace of heaven in what could be really challenging and perhaps turning our lives upside down kind of situations? Another question to consider, have you experienced a time when you allowed yourself to get a little too comfortable in your situation, your calling, perhaps compromising or settling for worldly peace? How did you shake yourself out of that situation? So our three angelic visitations reveal that one way in which peace is offered by heaven, the way that peace is offered to us by heaven can be extremely important. While nothing is wrong with questioning the work of God, how we, how we receive it, how we question it is important. The posture of our hearts, the openness of our spirit makes all the difference. And even in our stories, it makes all the difference because we saw Zechariah questioning God and he was condemned. We saw Mary questioning God and she was honored. Did you guys catch that? What was the difference? When Zechariah heard the word from the Lord, his simple response was, how can this happen? I'm an old man and so is my wife. And for asking that question, he was punished. Nine months being struck mute. Similarly, when confronted with the word of God, Mary questioned it by saying, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I don't know if you know how it works, angel, but. But then she does say, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said about me come true. God's not asking us to turn off our doubt, our intellect, our misgivings, our questions. But Mary demonstrates an important difference. It's what's the posture of our heart when we push back on God. You know, I think we can imagine for Zechariah the scorn that he might have felt when he heard this. Because Zechariah, he's serving in the temple, right? So that means he's had an entire life dedicated to the life of a of, 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 of Jewish worker in the temple. He's gone through Torah school. He's dedicated his entire life to serving. There were so many folks like Zechariah that likely this was maybe one or two of the only times he's ever had an opportunity to actually serve because there's so many that they're rotating through. He's dedicated his entire life. And of course, there's no better blessing in the Jewish society than to have a child. So obviously, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child their whole lives together. And here they are, 80 years later, the promise going unfulfilled. 
Can we blame him for being a little bitter, a little scorned by the question? But Mary, even in her fear and wonder, while questioning the logistics of an unprecedented virgin birth, was able to quickly guide her heart from fear, scorn, perhaps, you know, whatever she might have been feeling, she quickly was able to transition to surrender. The peace of heaven does not ask us for mindless faith. Rather, it rewards a humble, contrite spirit willing, allow, willing to follow God into the unknown as it transforms our hope into action. And you know, when the scripture says Mary wondered at these things, that's one of my favorite little snippets in here. Mary wondered at these things. The word wondered is actually kind of a bad translation for us. The Greek word means to take an audit. Where's Eric? It's an accounting word. <laughs> to take audit. In other words, it means that she was adding things up. She was weighing and pondering. She was kind of being intensely rational about her question. And the angel provided a satisfactory answer. And so she was able to move on. Of course, she's troubled as any normal person would be by such an apparition. But her response was trust and faith. May it be so. In his book, The Hidden Christmas, Tim Keller says it like this. She's asking, am I really seeing an angel or is this a hallucination? What's going on here? She does not immediately accept the words, but instead asks, how can this be? Mary shows us that responding in faith is a whole person experience that includes our intellect, our doubt, our questions. But can we pair that with an open, willing heart? Is God speaking a frightening, perhaps frightening proclamation into your life in this season or perhaps in this season to come? Have you been running from it? Perhaps explaining it away like Zechariah did? Or have you been embracing the unknown as best you know how? In your hope, transitioning into action, what is your response to God this morning? When God asks us to make a move, whether it's a big leap of faith or maybe it's a baby step in the right direction of his will, he offers us peace. And this peace bolsters our faith, which strengthens us for the journey. Will we accept the Lord's peace with an open heart. Well, that's our prayer today. May we receive the peace of heaven that surpasses all understanding and guides us into faithful obedience to God's work and will in our lives. That we may too be blessed servants of the Lord who has come to bring hope and peace and joy and love into our world. As we close 
I'd like to invite us into a moment of prayer. And once again, we're going to be guided by a poem. It's on the back of your, of your um, sermon notes. The poem is called, Your Word Has Come. And again, by the same author as our poem from last week. As I pray these words, may we have a heart open and in awe and wonder. Your word has come in very many ways through prophet, sage, and virgin Mary's song. In mountain cold or fiery deserts blaze, by infant's voice or mighty angel throng. And as disclosed your will to Balaam's eye, a desert bush drew Moses to your place. Old Anna said, the promised time is nigh. And John saw through the clouds of time and space. May word and sacrament your presence show. A glimpse of loving kindness through the veil. Or point the way of truth that we may know. In knowing you, not shun the fearsome trail. Let none pass by and scorn your bleeding word. For nailed to cross or humbly spoken out or wrapped in shroud and in tomb interred, the word is God in whisper or in shout. Let sages word and holy prophets call. Your church uphold, your people keep in peace. Let gospel hope and worldly kingdoms fall. Our faith confirm and loving trust increase. Amen.